from Car Rigs and Ingram, this is It Figures, the CRI podcast, an accounting, advisory, and industry-focused podcast for business and organization leaders, entrepreneurs, and anyone who is looking to go beyond the status quo. Well, thank you all for joining us today. Uh, my name is Brian Hall. I'm a partner with uh, the healthcare practice of Car Region Ingram and also, also the healthcare industry line leader. I have two uh, experts with me today, if y'all like to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Shane Harrell. I'm a partner in Car Riggs and Ingram's uh, healthcare division. And I'm Julia Jesuit, senior manager in uh, CRI's healthcare division. Well, thank y'all for being here. Today, we wanted to spend just a few minutes talking about um, what healthcare providers need to be doing to defend their revenue stream and really focusing on the, the payer audits, the Medicare audits and other types that, that we're seeing these days and kind of go through some, some trends that we're seeing in the industry and what providers need to know and, and need to be doing. So let's start with what types of payer audits are you seeing these days more frequently? Than in the past. The the big audits that we're seeing from the Medicare side and from CMS, they are working on wage index audits as well as worksheet S10 audits and then desk reviews or audits of, of the full cost reports. Absolutely. Yeah, and I've seen, <clears throat> at least in my practice, I've seen where the Medicare contract seem to be catching up a lot of the outstanding years in some of these areas. Uh, not sure what's triggered that, but we are seeing a lot of audit activity come through in a short period of time. Yeah, you're exactly right. We're seeing the same. On the audits that you guys are seeing, what uh, what areas of focus do you see the auditors drilling down on? So, so we see, depending kind of on what their scope was provided by C- CMS and what they, they make them do, be it um, in-house or, or on-site audits they're looking at, Various things such as uh, Medicare bad debts and the the listing and support, um, pulling various information, as well as DISH, Medicare DISH, and those Medicaid eligible days to validate that information. Looking at IME and GME samples. So if there's any interns and residents and, and any of that reimbursement being claimed on the cost report, they're coming forward with a with a list of support they want to see. Um, as well as um, when they do the S10 audits, which are outside of the desk reviewer audits that they do of the full cost report, S10, they're, they're looking at the charity logs and the bad debt listing and logs, patient detail behind them, and of course, looking at policies and procedures that are written by the hospital. And, and one of the big stressors we, we encountered uh, of, of late is that there are very short time frames involved to respond to, to information requests, uh, to respond to proposed adjustments. And so for that reason, it is really imperative for the providers to really do a good job of documenting and collecting that documentation as they prepare the cost report and not wait until it gets time uh, for audit requests because uh, we've seen a lot of providers run into problems when uh, they've delayed uh, compiling the necessary documentation up front. I know on my providers, I've also seen, this is nothing new, but I've seen uh, a lot more detailed reviews of the physician time studies. 
and I know some Medicare contractors view view the world differently than others. Um, but the physician time studies, the DISH, the S10, the bad debts, none of this is really new, but they all, at least in my experience, all seem to be taking a harder line approach and a more detailed dive um, recently. And that's probably, you know, my gut feel for that is it's probably because they found adjustments and that's kind of the low hanging fruit for them. So Shane and Julia, what do you think, what are kind of, you, you mentioned the, the tight timelines, and I'm seeing that in mine as well. What are kind of some of the, let's call them dirty tricks <laughs> that uh, that the, the auditors are using with regards to these customers to try to maximize the, the adjustment to take back? The way I would describe it is that in context of the, of the Medicare bad debt reviews, for example, is I think it is unspoken in, in the industry is that CMS detests reimbursing for Medicare bad debts. And if you give them a reason, even the slightest reason to disallow Medicare bad debt, they'll do so. And so you really have to go into it from, from that standpoint and realize that they not adverse to being very creative in their interpretations in, in terms of, of disallowing bad debts and other items. So they, that, that is just a predisposition going in. You can't assume that you're going to have a fair referee in this. Um, and so you really have to go above and beyond in terms of your documentation, in terms of following, following your policy and procedures. That's where that's a big area where we see providers really get hung up is that maybe what they did was not quote unallowable by the regulations, but it was in terms of their policy and procedures that they have. And so, you know, that that's a good place to start when we talk about taking preventative measures, is look at your policy and procedures and see whether they mirror what you're actually doing in practice because that uh, has often been the, the uh, pitfall for, for providers more so than, than the regulations themselves. It's been their own policy and procedures. Right. Yeah. That is a, that's a, that's an easy way for them to disallow it for sure. Um, one thing I've seen um, with my practice is where they the auditor will select a very small sample of bad debts and do the testing and they usually focus on it seems like the the higher dollar amounts and then if they find any you know any reason to disallow it per the regulations then they'll extrapolate an error rate off of that very small non-statistical sample which of course i don't I, in my mind is not appropriate but but they will do that and then project it across the entire population of bad debts, which can have a, uh, you know, a huge impact on the provider. Um, so that's, that's one of the things that out there, I don't know, Shane and Julie, if you guys have seen that, but I'm definitely seeing that more and more uh, on my side. Yeah, we most definitely have seen that as well from the Medicare bad debt listing side for reimbursement, but, but as well um, on the S10 side when they're doing the S10 audits for the bad debt, the total bad debt listing and the charity listings, doing the same with their samples they pull. And there's so much detail, especially for S10 audits, if you have to break it out by revenue code based on your billing, 
And if you do have to break it up by revenue code, there's so many lines and their samples are so small. My understanding from talking to a few auditors at Novitas and um, that Mac for sure is that they weren't given a minimum or a maximum sample to pull. So it was up to the max discretion on what they were going to pull as, as a sample. And then we are seeing the same thing with the extrapolations with the error rate. And, and then even from the Medicare bad debt side to, to kind of mirror off what Shane had mentioned with the policy and procedures is also we've started seeing some of the max request samples of non-Medicare bad debts to just make sure not only are your Medicare bad debts following regulation and policy and procedure, but you're also following that same process and policy for your non-Medicare bad debts and you're not um, specifying between payers. Oh, wow. That's an interesting change, <laughs> to say the least. And, and especially with bad debts, when you do get in a disallowed position and you have an adjustment, um, of course, you don't want to let that slide. So you want to try to regather that money. Um, and one of the things that I've seen it, that the max will pull is when you go to either amend or, well, or appeal, but in this case, amend a previous cost report to, to add those bad debts back in, let's say they were filed in the wrong year per CMS regulations, then the, the Medicare contractor has the uh, discretion to say whether or not it's material to any one year. So if you're taking bad debts out of one year and kind of sprinkling them across other years, they may obviously be material cash to the facility, but the Medicare contractor can say it's not material to any one year and deny the amendment. Um, so I've, I have seen that several times, which I think is a bit of a dirty trick, um, but that's something out there that that hospitals need to be aware of. and. Uh, and other healthcare facilities and just making sure that when you file the cost report originally, that you really get your ducks in a row to make sure that the, that the bad debts are in the right year because, you know, there's a, a significant exposure there. Uh, and, and another area that we've actually uh, have, have seen become a more common than we have in the past, Brian, is that uh, the, the, the MACs are going in to look at your statistical allocations. And even though you may have been using those statistical allocations for uh, 20 years, uh, if they're not, uh, if they don't line up with the, the recommended standard allocation methods, they're asking the provider to provide proof that they have um, been given approval uh, to depart from the standard allocation methodology. And you know, with the with the change in 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 max over the years, they can't locate it in their own file. So they're pushing the burden off on the provider to provide that documentation, which in most cases the provider doesn't have that documentation any longer. So they're not uh, persuaded by any type of precedent that may have occurred over the last twenty years, and they're requiring providers. Um, at least prospectively, to uh, either request departure from the standard allocation methodologies and bases or um, request going to the simplified methodology. So that is, is something to watch for. As I said, they do 
look at it prospectively, but if you get one of those letters and you don't uh, address it, then they can disallow all of your allocated costs on the future cost report. So really important to track those type of things. Definitely. And definitely important to any any communication that, that a healthcare provider has with the with the contractor or the CRI or anybody else has on their behalf needs to be retained by the provider for sure for a number of years to be able to go back and support that. You mentioned earlier that the timelines, and I don't I don't know that this is anything new, but I do think the impact of it is exacerbated when you when you're you have a contractor that's trying to do several years of audits at once. Um, but I have certainly seen where um, where the timelines for the data <clears throat> requests are, are, let's just say, optimistic. Um, I've seen some instances where they mailed the letter uh, instead of emailing it. And by the time the letter received was received by the provider, the response date had already gone by. Um, so it does seem that they are managing the process a little bit, perhaps unfairly, uh, via the via the requested information dates. Would you have you guys seen that on your side? Um, we we have, especially in regards to the S ten audits lately, um, in terms of the timeline being quick or after getting specific information to the auditor, possibly them being too busy to look at it for a while, and by the time they get around to it or to ask questions, the timeline's gotten even shorter or the timeline has run out by when it's due to CMS. And so um, just trying to make sure, if possible, checking in with the auditor on if they need anything else um, before unknowingly the time's too late that that they allow before their hands are tied and they have to get some of their um, desk reviews, be it S10 or or an overall cost report desk review or even wage index. Um, submitted to CMS by a drop-dead date. Right, and I would definitely encourage providers to be proactive when you send that letter or when you receive that letter or email that they're opening an audit or desk review to let them know you're in receipt of it so that they can see what date you've got it. And then obviously if the if the requested timeline is, is too optimistic to immediately ask for more time. Um, recently, we had a a situation where a provider was going through proposed adjustments with the auditor and had and was in the process of scheduling a final debrief meeting to kind of walk through what what it looked like and then out of the blue they got an NPR uh, a final settlement so um, obviously that that was not fair um, so I think it's just very important that the providers keep a paper trail even if it's an electronic paper trail of all the communications and really manage the process to the extent you can uh, to help facilitate the audit and, and keep the audit moving. Uh, if the auditor gets the impression that things aren't moving or that you are not contesting the adjustments, you know, they, they might press the button on their side and finalize it before you're ready. Julie and Shane, we've spoken about the importance of filing the cost report accurately and, and keeping records, but just in general, what do you think healthcare facilities uh, should be doing to prepare uh, themselves for these audits? Um, we we actually have a few providers on the front end that that have been proactive, and and we work with them throughout the year, especially during cost report uh, preparation time, to sample 
select some samples of their Medicare by debt listing and, and on the front end, just ask some questions. Of course, we don't know exactly what the MAC um, is looking for or might be directed by CMS at, at the time. But if we can at least offer any insights on the front end and, and kind of do some of our own internal checks on the Medicare by debt listing or even the S10 listings and ask some of the questions on the front end, help the, the provider be a little more prepared or at least have an idea of some questions that potentially could be asked um, in future years when the audits come about. So um, possibly doing sample audits on the front end throughout the, the year fiscal year or at cost report time? Yeah, I think I think doing the uh, what we've always called, say, the mock audits um, uh, of, of the data, even if that's not feasible to do before you file the cost report, at some point after you file the cost report, but before uh, you are imposed with an audit, that uh, that is generally an effective tool, not just to mitigate um, potential audit findings, but also, you know, possibly identify um, flaws in your process and maybe even identify reimbursement opportunities that, that come out of that as well. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I would say, I know if I was a CFO of a, of a healthcare facility um, and I had open cost report years, I would certainly want to know what, what, if any, potential exposure is out there related to future audits, because we know the audits are coming. Um, so I always recommend pre-audits or mock audits to, um, to our clients just, just so they can get an idea of what's coming, go ahead and prepare. And then from a financial statement perspective, need to consider that in, in recording your reserves as well. So I think that's a good practice. When a healthcare facility actually receives a notice that they're going to be under audit or desk review, um, what would Julie and Shane, what would y'all recommend that? you know, the steps and, and what should they do that first day? Well, I think uh, Julia alluded to it and, and you you as well, Brian, is that um, you, as soon as possible, you you contact whoever your reimbursement advisor it happens to be um, to, to get their uh, advice on specifically how to proceed, depending on what types of information they're asking for. And of course, on the provider's end, is is because of the tight timelines, and, and to afford yourself sufficient time, hopefully, to respond to any proposed adjustments, is to get the information to back to the MAC ahead of time, if possible. But um, what we we have found is that um, providers that just send the information directly into the MACs without affording the, the reimbursement advisor an opportunity to look through it um, oftentimes ends up with unintended consequences in, in, in sense that possibly the, the format of the data was submitted in a way that was not sufficient for what the auditor needed. In fact, Julia can, can share with you, you know, she's had some of those that were not ran through us to look at ahead of time and the auditors proposed a hundred percent disallowance on everything. So it's, it's, it's not theoretical. I mean, we've seen it happen before. I don't know, Julia, if you've got anything to add to that. Yeah. We, we have seen kind of going back, Brian, to, to 
I guess how you worded it, tricks that they're using to increase take backs. I've seen from from an audit um, that was going on that, that we got all the support together and you had that one deadline to get the data in and they only gave that one deadline. And so the, the auditor thought a page was missing of the support and disallowed the account. And so she said, look, we gave you a couple of weeks to get the data in. You don't have an extension to get any additional data. You miss this one piece of support that was requested and we're disallowing the whole account. And she was not going to let up on disallowing that account for, for lack of support submitted. Well, thank goodness on the front end, I had scrubbed the data as best as possible and the page was there. And so as soon as we showed it, that, that account was reallowed. But they, it is up to the max discretion on accepting any support after the deadline has passed from when they request it. So to kind of echo what Shane said, to just make sure the reimbursement advisors are involved to make sure the support's in the right order and all the support is there. You might, uh, I recommend a second set of eyes because pulling so much data from a sample, something might get overlooked or accidentally not included. And you want to make sure on the front end before it's submitted to the auditor, in case not knowing if they're going to allow anything on the back end, getting everything up front. And, and let me say, let, let me dispel a myth. So I, I think a lot of times um, the assumption is, well, this, this may have happened to a, a provider that, you know, doesn't have uh, a deep staff bench or a sophisticated system. And that's just really not the case. I mean, some of, oftentimes these, these unintended consequences happen to providers that are very competent, very sophisticated, have um, in-depth knowledge and, and tools, but, but what they lack is um, what we can offer, which is we we experience numerous audits from various MACs, so we we have an understanding of what the MACs looking for and what the tripwires are, and it, it's just simply having that experience and being able to bring it into the equation that that makes a big difference in the outcome. Absolutely, those are great points. I I think some of the uh... Some of those us that have been in the industry for quite a while can remember when when the the max used to be called fiscal intermediaries, and there's a reason they changed that name. It's that name implied that that they were on both sides, but they are really on Medicare's side. <laughs> they are they are not on our side. So we definitely uh, you know we need to we need to respect the process, follow the process. But above all, I think the takeaway is is to prepare and to manage the process. So so when the when you receive the letter, uh, the ball's in your court. Obviously, let them know that you're in receipt of it. Try to reset that clock, so to speak. Be as responsive as you can. And then to Shane and Julia's point, uh, I know a lot of providers are are hesitant to reach out to their cost report um, external experts, be it CRI or whomever because they don't want to incur a fee. Um, but at the end of the day, the fee that you incur is really pennies on the dollar of, of what you can lose um, if, you, if you don't engage all the resources available to you. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Brian. I always say if, at the end of the day, if you, ended up, if you end up saving C, CMS more money than you did yourself, you didn't do the right thing. 
<laughs> that's a, that's correct. So I think we'll uh, we'll end here. Uh, I want to I want to thank uh, Shane and Julia for being here, and I want to thank everybody for listening. I would direct you toward uh, our CRI website at cricpa.com. Uh, on healthcare uh, side, we have a, a number of resources and content that I think will be helpful. And I would encourage you either on the, the preparation side or on the response side to any desk reviews or audits to, uh, to reach out to us. You can contact your CRI partner if you already have a relationship, or if not, you can uh, email us at healthcare at CRICPA.com. If you want more CRI insights or are interested in learning about our firm, please visit our website at CRICPA.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of It Figures, the CRI podcast. You can subscribe to It Figures on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review.